And welcome to the 24th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that always trades away our planeswalkers at the pre-release. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, aka MTG Critic on the interwebs. My co-host is Cliff Daigle, aka Word of Commander, and we're here to help you guys make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Hey guys, really glad to be here. I'm looking forward to sharing some valuable information with all of you. As always, this show is sponsored by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. Cliff, break down our segments for the folks today. Today, James, we're back to our usual four segments. First off, we're going to do our top movers, where we talk about the cards that have shown the most increase in price. We're on to our picks of the week, as you and I are going to share some of the best places to put your magic dollars. After that, we've got some tournament results to discuss, and then we're going to talk a little bit about Puka Trade. But let's get to those top movers right away, because last week's theme is raising its gruesome visage again. Exactly. So uh, more and more reserve list cards continue to fall like dominoes, starting with Volra Stronghold, one of my picks from last week. It was already in motion as we started discussing it um, during Pat the cast recording and it's moved uh, again this week from 30 to 40 um, up 33 percent of the week and almost a double up since it started moving uh, just another reserve list card one of the ones that's been on my short list for some time uh, as something that's going to fall and uh, not surprised to see it uh, become a self-fulfilling prophecy the other thing about the stronghold that i could at least get behind is it's really good in casual formats it sees actual play it's a, a way of getting creatures back that you really just can't mess with short of targeting non-basic lands so uh while this one makes some sense some of the others we're going to get to uh just don't they just don't at all yeah i mean some of these are kind of crazy but there's a there's a bunch of cards that i'm not surprised to see move here i mean tell me about the next one on the list well next up is old man of the sea the arabian knights card it's gone up from about 55 to 80, uh, jumping 25 bucks, uh, 45% of its value. Um, this one sees some play in old school magic, but it, it's just, like you said, just the next domino to fall on the reserve list. People are targeting it, buying it up, and saying they'll never make any more of these, so might as well get in on it. Ditto, we have Academy Rector out of Urza's Destiny moving from 19 to 28 for a $9 gain. That's a 47% uh, push on the week. And again, a reserve list card that uh, has some some value um, in various decks. I mean, it used to be a terror in the Yawgmouth's uh, bargain decks back before that insane combo was banned. Yeah, it's uh, one of the cards that uh, in Commander will just make everybody sad. Somebody plays it, and you think, oh, what's what's this going to be? Is it going to be Omniscience? Is it going to be, um, what's the one where you get, if somebody has more creatures than you, sacrifice it and go find two and put them in play? There's all kinds of stuff. Oh, d Defense of the Heart. Defense of the Heart. Um, yeah. There's, maybe somebody wants to go get an Oath. You never know. There's nothing good that can come from Academy Rector. <laughs> so next on the next on the list this week? Uh, Candelabra of Taunos, the card out of Antiquities. Uh, $370 was where it started. It was already a pretty pricey card. It's gone up to about $572, gained a little more than $200. This one is a four of in high tide if you play Legacy, but it's also on the reserve list. It's also a uh, $93.94 uh, card, and quite frankly, since Legacy is already soaking up a lot of these, Having this price uh, jump by a mere 50% up to nearly $600 is not really that big a surprise. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're heading into territory where, you know, several hundred dollars is going to be the default price for old school rares um, and occasionally uncommons. The, I, I remember buying a Candelabra <clears throat> not that long ago, like less than five years ago for something like $40 and selling it for 80 and feeling pretty good about myself. Um, hilarious to see how far we've come since then. Yeah, I had one of these uh, when I got back into Magic uh, around Zendikar. I had one that was uh, somewhere between uh, messed up and had put, 
been put through a washer and I traded away for like uh, $30 and it was about two years later that it spiked real hard. So, you know, there's a lot of these, excuse me, there's not many of these cards out there, especially ones in good condition, considering the size of the set and the age of everything. Yeah. Uh, next on the list, Singing Tree, likewise a reserve list card from Arabian Nights, moved from 20 to 33. 65% um, gain, $13 gain. Good to keep in mind as we're going through all of this that you, you really need to check um, uh, the new pricing on TCG when you're trying to evaluate um, the trend line on some of these spikes. They're now using a thing called market price that they're highlighting in green um, on most card pages. Uh, this was previously uh, information that was a little less obvious, um, but in response to recent spikes, TCG issued an announcement last week that they were going to be um, shifting focus to um, this this number, which essentially represents the the average sale price for recently completed sales. Um, you know, so for instance. Uh, you, you might see a card spike from $4 to $10, it's been bought out, but if the market price is still sitting at you know, 4 or $4.25, then you know that nobody is biting on the new price yet. One of the things I don't like about this price, um, just as an aside, is that I think market price should actually be called uh, recent sales. Market price makes it sound like it's the correct price, the appropriate price, the price you should aim to pay. Um, which I think is a misnomer because the, you know, the, the real price is whatever uh, the next person pays and that that price is in the future not in the past if inventory has gone from 100 copies to zero um, then it makes sense the price would move because you're going to shift the demand curve so uh, i'm not thrilled with how they chose to name that price um, and, it, and they're also not giving us um, you know a tremendous amount of data because the graphs have disappeared um, they say they're re-implementing something called price trend, but I think it's only going to show a few weeks of graphing data. Um, I'd like to see historical graphing data going back, you know, at least a year on all cards. And I'd like to see the actual transaction values on the market price so I can see um, how quickly the, the price is shifting once it does shift um, and, and get a sense of how demand is changing. So at a lower price, you might have a lot of transactions and at a higher price, you might have... Um, a relatively you know limited number of transactions. I want to be able to digest all that data um, should I so choose. So I'm, I'm not really thrilled with TCG player um, acting as uh, you know injecting their own politics into the marketplace. As, as far as I'm concerned, uh, this is a pretty efficient marketplace and fully capable of correcting on its own. Um, but we'll see how that all plays out. Um, Segwaying back out of that rant, uh, next on our <laughs> list we have uh, Transmute Artifact out of Antiquities moving from $38 to $65, so another $27 gainer. That's almost 70% on the week. Uh, tell me about Back to Basics, Cliff. Uh, it's a pretty awesome legacy card if you're into that. The problem is it messes you up just as badly as it messes the other guy up since it's an enchantment for two and a blue. It says non-basics don't untap, period. It's one of the fastest ways to get killed in Commander, and it has actually doubled up from about uh, 21, excuse me, from $10 up to 21. Uh, it's on the reserve list, and the new price is probably here to stay. Just like uh, a lot of the others we've talked about. Where it settles down will probably be less than this, but it's still going to be a lot more than you thought it would be just a few months ago. Yeah, we'll see how these all settle out. It'll be interesting to, to circle back on, you know, the reserve list buyout period of 2016 and say six months and see how many of these have stuck. Um, you know, as you said, I think a lot of them are going to slide back towards their original pricing. I might, uh, you know, when we get to the top card, I'll, I'll use it as the, the example of how <laughs> this is likely to play out. Um, next on the list, we have the 10th edition, 10th uh, edition version of Brushland. Um, you know, the Painlands were maligned for years; they've been reprinted many times. Um, but you know, this version of, of Brushland looks like it experienced a buyout. It went from $10 to $20 this week for 100% gain. Keep in mind that uh, Eldrazi decks um, can sit, look at Painlands as you know tri lands, and this is a black border version. So I'm not surprised to see to see uh, Painlands continuing to show movement in the rarer versions, um, but we'll see how they settle once people have uh, kind of adjusted to Eldrazi uh, being in the meta uh, across multiple formats. 
I'm sorry. It's nice to see a card spike that uh, actually is seeing play or about to see play instead of just pure unfiltered speculation. <clears throat> yeah, true that. So next on the list we have Rattle Chains, uh, which is likewise in the same position out of Shadows over Innistrad. Uh, people are uh, predicting that the Spirits deck is going to be definitely good enough for standard. Um, I've heard from several people that are advanced testing that the Spirit deck looks quite good. Um, uh, and possibly even playable in modern is, is the Whisper. Uh, largely on the backs, uh, largely on the backs of you know just how good uh, the card we talked about a couple weeks ago, Spell Queller, is um, the 2-3 Flash Flyer for 3. When it enters the battlefield, exile target spell with converted mana cost 4 or less. Uh, and when it leaves the battlefield, the exiled card's owner may cast that card without paying its mana cost. There's a bunch of different shenanigans you can do there. Um, and Spirits has really gotten uh, 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 several new interlocking pieces that may give it enough to be you know, a proper Blue-White Skies deck in modern, but you know... Uh, that remains to be proven. It is a pretty tough format to break into, and this is not looking like Eldrazi-level aggression. The um, That being the case, it still moved from a dollar to three fifty for almost a 250% gain. If you were uh, lucky enough to pick up Rattle Chains at that low price, and I think that was one of our picks maybe 10 episodes ago, um, then uh, certainly you try to get out on these uh, while the while the, the going is good, um, you know, the Spirit deck still has to earn its place in Standard and will have a much t- harder time earning it in Modern. So if you can get out on these, uh, you know, via Puka Trade or something in the 3 to $4 range, then uh, go get them. Absolutely. The, uh, getting this for cash seems like a pipe dream until the deck actually puts up results. And uh, I, would, I would absolutely be outing these in Trade or Puka or whatever you want. Uh, I would not want to be holding on to these, hoping that the Results mean that the price goes up further. Get out now. Let somebody else worry about the next spike. Yeah. So uh, what about Gravity Sphere? Uh, Gravity Sphere out of Legends has gone from $11 to $69 for a 500% gain. Uh, it's on the reserve list. And uh, yeah, what? how many times are we going to utter that sentence between last week, this week, and maybe next week too? I mean, that's a big gainer, and uh, we'll see if it, it manages to stick, but these are the kind of moves that, um, again, make me jealous of the guys who were completionists and were pulling together full sets of you know Antiquities, Arabian Nights, and Legends earlier in, in, in the game, because yeah, the, the kind of appreciation they're, they're getting out of some of their jankiest cards is just astonishing now. Um, you know, full and where it's going to really pay off is if they indeed do have a, a fairly uh, a near mint or close to near mint full set. Um, those full sets are eventually going to be very, very pricey collector's items that are not going to be very liquid. It might take a year or so to get rid of them, but um, they'll be able to get out you know thousands and thousands of dollars above where they got in, um, and still leave the the vendor that takes it off their hands with a juicy margin. That's uh, pretty tasty position to be in. <laughs> when your biggest question is, uh, am I going to take uh, a gain of 150% or am I going to take a gain of 175%, you did something right. So uh, good job, uh, completionists and collectors on Gravity Sphere. But uh, we this last one, it just, as uh, I, I'm, I'm running out of words. I just really well, I mean, am. I don't know I, what I, to say. I, I, he- I hesitated to even put this on the list this week because it's not a real spike. This is a guy who I'm not even going to name because I don't want to push any traffic his way that's been making a fool of himself on YouTube for at least a couple of years now. He's he's completely ignorant. The guy has no idea what he's talking about. And he claims he was doing research buying out Narwhale from Homelands. Um, this is a 2-2 first strike protection from Red Creature from one of the most overprinted sets in existence that just happens to be on the reserve list. There's no demand for this card whatsoever. Um, as evidenced by the market price, again, hate that name, but the, <laughs> the market price or recent sales price on TCG being $0.47, cents, um, despite him trying to push the card up to $10. Uh, the, we're already seeing copies come in at $5. They will then go to 4 and 3 and 2 and fall right back towards where they started. They're, the thing about these reserve list cards is, as I said, you cannot just grab any card off the reserve list and expect to be able to hold the spike. There has to be some natural pattern of demand to 
justify the price tag. Otherwise, the, the copies will flow back in. Um, this was not an especially rare card at the time. It's not an especially rare card now. There's tons of them in bulk boxes all over the place. And um, it's not the kind of thing you want to be holding. Um, you really need to be particular about what reserve list cards you target. There aren't that many great ones left to go after. But this this is not where you want to be. If you're, if you're dealing with a card from Antiquities <laughs> or Arabian Nights or Legends, that's one thing. But once you start getting into like Homelands and beyond... Um, the print runs were just much, much higher. It's not. It's going to be a lot harder to keep uh, copies out of the marketplace, especially if they were especially bad and were just sitting around doing nothing uh, in most people's collections. You know, if they something like this gets to ten dollars and people think they have any chance of getting out, they're going to be all over trying to, to, you know, reap the rewards of having a penny stock. So, ig- ignore Narwhale. It's not a real thing. Um, ignore your <laughs> copies. Don't bother to to pull them and and you know, prop them up on your desk, ready to ship that they, they won't be shipping anytime soon. <laughs> uh, it, the, what you said is really the main point. Um, what I like to do is I like to look on eBay and see what sales are actually going for. Um, I, it's similar to TCG's uh, market price. Like you said, the price is whatever somebody will pay, not necessarily what they have paid. But if I can't find a sale of somebody who actually paid real cash money of more than a dollar for a narwhal, uh, then yeah, it's it's not a thing. The it does seem like somebody just went through and said this is the cheapest one and I can do this. And he talked. It's it's just yeah. I think manipulation and silliness are the words I'm looking for. I mean, it's, it, manipulation is actually a word I've been challenging uh, as people used it to describe the reserve list buyouts the thing about manipulation is it implies that you have control over the final price um this is only true if you can if supply was indeed rare enough and low enough across the interwebs that that you can corner the market um in the case of something like narwhale you you absolutely cannot corner the market um and cornering it's not going to get you anywhere anywhere anyway because nobody wants the card so the you know for there to be manipulation, you really have to have a greater degree of control that's not expressed in most of these buyouts. Um, what what really will determine the success of the various moves that people have made is you know over time was there is there enough natural demand, um, and that's why I think it's really it would be very interesting um, and valuable for TCG to expand the data pool and show us you know an item by item transaction. Uh, log as well as a graph that shows um, sale velocity. I mean, sale velocity showing you know the total number of transactions per day or per per week per card would be a much more telling um, indicator of the ability to move that card in the marketplace. Um, but that's it for our, our uh, first segment this week. Let's uh, move on to our cards to watch. These are the cards that Cliff and I uh, have our eye on as potential pickups this week. And uh, I guess I'll kick things off with uh, my first pick. Um, all of these are cards that are likely to be mentioned in my forthcoming Digging for Dollars article, a series I write um, close to the release of each new set, um, outlining uh, the various cards that I think might be undervalued um, that I consider to be potential long shots that could make us some money. Um, many of these picks are unlikely to work out, um, but it's a good thought experiment to talk them through and gain an understanding of uh, what dynamics may lead to success in in the speculation arena. So without further ado, let me jump in on my first pick, which I only have a confidence level of six, which is pretty low and about the lowest I would even bother to mention a card. Um, <laughs> but uh, we'll, we'll dive in on it anyway. The, the mythic in question that I'm looking at is Decimator of the Provinces. Uh, it's a 10 casting cost card for an Eldrazi boar. That's a 7-7 trample haste. So it's a bit of a beat stick. Um, but it... Uh, what's got my attention is that it has the emerge mechanic, which is the one where you can basically sacrifice a creature you already have in play by paying the emerge cost minus that creature's converted mana cost um, to get the card into play cheaper. So the emerge cost on this is six triple green. So um, the triple green is a is a bit of a hold up. It's it's hard to squeeze it into just any old deck. But if you have a three or four casting cost creature on the board, then this costs something like uh, you know four or five mana, maybe six mana. Um, and in return, you're giving uh, you have an additional ability, which is that when it's cast, and it's nice that it's cast, like many of the Eldrazi, um, countering it only only gets rid of the body. 
um, because you're still going to get the ability that creatures you control get plus two plus two and gain trample until end of turn. So, I mean, if it hits the board and you've got even two things left on the board when it hits, then you're you're potentially swinging for, uh, and they were, say, two twos or something, you're potentially boosting them uh, uh, to four fours, and it's swinging for seven, so you could be hitting for, you know, 15 or something, and and all of it has trample. So this is the kind of thing we've seen before with cards like Crater Hoof, uh, Behemoth, which you know, clearly is the is probably the more powerful of the two cards, but the ability is similar enough that I could see it being a four of in a good deck and standard that got some camera time that could push the price of this card higher. Um, you can currently get copies in the $5 range. I could see it spiking to $10 at some point in its standard career. Um, I don't think it's got the legs for, for modern. Um, it's only uh, marginally interesting and casual and, and EDH. So it really needs to do something in standard to get there, which is why my confidence level is is lower than it would normally be. You are hoping for standard, and uh, I need the price to come down a lot more before I'm going to let myself get drawn into this. Um, it's got that weird tension that uh, there's a convoke overrun type effect too. Uh, I think it's called overwhelm. And it's the problem is it's just it's two things at war with itself. You got to sacrifice a creature to get this thing, which pumps up all your creatures. And notably, it's only two two in trample. They've gone away from the three three in trample that uh, they used to do. And uh, I I think you might be right. There might be one deck that shows it off, but I'm uh, at five dollars. I'm I'm not going near this. Uh, I'm gonna wait on other things. To let this come down much more in price before I get involved. Yeah, I mean, hopefully you get a chance on it via Facebook groups and or Twitter at like three or four dollars if you want to move in on it. Um, during opening weekend, uh, you're likely to see uh, that kind of pricing. Um, if it makes camera time at the first major event, then um, you know time will be short. But uh, it's a bit of a long shot. Uh, tell me about your first pick this week. My next pick is not a long shot. It is uh, pretty much going to happen. Uh, I've picked Earthcraft. Uh, it is one of the reserve list cards that has not yet seen a big spike in the last couple of months. It's been creeping upward. Uh, I wrote about it a couple months ago as something that I think will actually be unbanned in Legacy. And the combination of reserve list spikes and possible Legacy unbannings uh, I think it'll go from its current 28, uh, it could hit 50 easily. If you've never had the pleasure of playing with this in Commander or Cube, it's pretty busted. And, uh, you know, have your few and pick them up now because they are going to hit. And it's only a matter of time. And I'm sitting back on my playset from my Turbo Salad deck from 1995. 1995. <laughs> and... Uh, it was the jewel of technology back then, Earthcraft plus wild growth and overgrowth and fungal bloom, and it was just value all over the place. Yeah, I mean, there aren't that many copies around. It is reserve list. The I think it's a card that's likely to post up over 40. Um, the major impediment right now, at least on TCG Player, is that we've got a seller with hardly any sales uh, to their name that has 44 copies. Yes, um, I saw that. <clears throat> so at $25. So uh, it remains to be seen whether that's a real post, um, you know, whether they have 44 copies that they got in in on earlier in the reserve list mayhem, um, or they are somehow trying to influence uh, perception or pricing. The The card is, is going to go. I agree with that. Um, how fast, I have no idea. Um, but you picked 50 as the target. Um, I would, I would pick say 40. So somewhere in between there is, is probably the likely range. Um, and, uh, it's probably hard to go wrong. Uh, the dominoes continue to topple. So my next pick is, uh, another ED, uh, Eldritch Moon card. Um, also a mythic. Um, I like deploy the Gatewatch uh, as a mid to long-term pick, uh, confidence level of seven. Currently available in the three to three fifty range, um, and I suspect you may be be able to get as low as two fifty during opening weekend, um, as people are looking to out uh, their copies. 
The target for this long term would be somewhere in the $8 to $10 range. Um, it's a very unique card. It's collected company for planeswalkers, essentially. You get to check the top uh, seven um, and pull any two planeswalkers and put them into play. That's potentially pretty solid value um, and could be game swinging. It's definitely going to be popular as a four of in, ki in kitchen table magic. Um, uh, it might do something in standard. It has an outsider's chance of making an appearance in modern. Um, what do you think about it in Commander and EDH, Cliff? I think it's uh, going to see a lot of play, but people are going to want to play it. People love jamming as many Planeswalkers as they can into a deck, especially with the Oaths. Uh, there's nothing holding it back, but uh, I got to say, I'd be much more into it on the foils. Um, if you're going to pick a card with the, the casual appeal, uh, let me look up what it's currently at. Uh, deploy the Gatewatch. Foils are $10 on Star City, but I believe they're sold out. Yeah, they're out of stock at the moment. I think the lowest I saw on eBay was about 15 I, I I love it. I love I love this foil going forward, especially if it's 15 versus 2 right now. That If that's the uh, multiplier, that's your, that's your giveaway. That's the sign you look for, and uh, I don't like picking up cards this early from a set that's about to come out. Generally speaking, uh, getting cards this early is not going to give me the value I want. But uh, deploy it has potential in non-foil. Uh, my concern would be uh, this is a card that's going to get reprinted. There's no other way to say that. This interacts with our favorite casual card type. And while it might not get reprinted this summer, uh, this set of Commander decks, um, it's it's a given. I don't know when, but it will be. The the only thing I would say that that pumps the brakes on that a little bit is that the Gatewatch is a very specific, um, you know, super team reference within the Magic universe. Um, I don't think they're going to run with that team forever. Uh, there's going to be some exhaustion on these characters, and branding is probably only going to get three to five years out of this premise. Um, and then they're going to have to kill some of them off and move on to something else. Once that takes place, the, the reprint gets a lot tougher. Um, and uh, I'm not convinced that there's a window for this to be reprinted any time in the next five years. Oh, I, I think I've, it's a risk I'm not willing to run considering, uh, like, especially at $3 right now, you'll get this for a lot cheaper if you wait uh, three to four weeks. This is a card, uh, it's going to be under two. Uh, you'll probably be able to find it on TCG for pushing a dollar, uh, maybe $1.50 mm. with shipping. I think that's optimistic. This is a mythic, not a rare. The, and, and, but it's, and it's a, a mythic that's going to be It's a mythic that's demand. not going to see any standard play, man. I hate to burst your bubble. Mm, but, I don't uh, think. We got some very powerful uh, Planeswalkers dominating standard right now. And putting a Jace and a Nisa in play um, off the back of this is not crazy talk. It is at six mana. Uh, I, we're we're gonna have to come up with a polite little wager on this, sir. I don't. I, there's gonna be not a lot of decks that play this, and it's certain <laughs> it, it'd be a four of if they do, but it. I don't. Oh, I don't see it. is this is this our first pie bet? Is this me? Am I Evan Irwin to your uh, your Brad Nelson here? I don't know about a pie, but I I just think you're wrong, and I, <laughs> <laughs> I I think that this can can top eight a standard tournament within the year. You disagree with that? One? No. Uh, I want to put... Uh, my number is... Mm. What standard tournaments are we talking? Uh, like it has to be like Star City Games open or 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 better. Uh, my over-under is... Four. And, and we're talking single copy in the deck, right? Yes. I don't think there will be five tournaments... What, during its standard life that will have this card. Not, not five top eights at, at the open or better level. Well, I mean, five is pushing yeah, it. I, 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 I was arguing for one. This is six drop that you, people are... No, man. What are you going to play Accelerants into this? How many Planeswalkers you got to jam? Frank Karsten did the math already. No, you're, you're, you're barking up the wrong tree here, my friend. Let's, let's see how that plays out. So tell me about your next one. Uh, I am in on Foil Pyromancer's Goggles. Again, uh, this is a card uh, out of Magic Origins. It's a mythic. It has already had one spike when it first got some camera time, 
and the foils went from about six to about uh, 27 and uh, I'm finding them for around eight and I'm going to out them again when they hit 20 because this is a unique effect. It's already demonstrated. It can go crazy with uh, tormenting voice. You can accelerate into it and do some busted things. And because I, I'm I'm looking forward to the first time it pops up in a modern Grixis Delver deck, because somebody is going to play this on turn five and immediately double bolt. And then the next turn, they're going to drop a Snapcaster to flash back a Kolagon's command and double up on that Kolagon's command, and everyone's just going to be salivating. So I'm in on the foil <laughs> goggles, and I think you should be too. Wow. So Deploy the Gatewatch is unplayable at 6, but Pyromancer's Goggles at 5 is going to be played in Modern? Yes. I All think right. that... we might We might both be smoking something this week. The, uh, <laughs> I, I, the, the value train is already so strong in the Grixis uh, control builds in Modern that they really don't need to be doubling up spells any further. Goblin Dark Dwellers for, at the same casting cost puts a 4-4 four, four, uh, tough to block body on the on the table. And there's only so many five drops a deck like that can afford. Um, so I really don't see Goggles <clears throat> showing up in Modern, certainly not in Tier 1 or Tier 2. The uh, I think that the foils have some long-term potential because it's a really fabulous casual card. Um, but I want to see these foils come down hard at rotation, um, at which point I would look to you know get in. Um, I think getting to 20 is going to be tough. I think falling to, say, 4 um, you know, this fall uh, when the heat is off and then potentially getting back up to 10 is, is reasonable. I actually don't think it's going to fall much further. Uh, I've been watching cards since we're in the 18-month standard cycle, Stuff is not falling the way it used to. Uh, I'm still working on uh, assembling my data points for before I write this up, but it's it's not the same as it was. And there's no longer the, the drop-off effect. People are wanting to get their value uh, before it, it tanks on them. Uh, and uh, I want to do too much on a piece that I'm, I'm working on. But I, I think that we've already seen it fall as far as it's going to fall. And this, especially because of the casual appeal. So, I mean, the market price is showing at $3.80 on the regular copies. Uh, we don't have any information on how what the foils are going for. Um, because you can't... Keep in mind, if you're looking at foils on TCG, the market price will not adjust. Um, that's definitely worth pointing out. The I, I think these I'm seeing foil co quite a like 50 or 60 foil copies on TCG alone, um, you know, in a range from nine to 20 or something. I, I think we're going to see these at five, five, six dollars um, come rotation. Uh, and maybe I get in on a couple of play sets then. <laughs> All right. Well, what else do you like this week, James? Um, I like Eternal Scourge if it gets low enough. Um, this is the 3-3 three, three Eldrazi, um, also out of Eldritch Moon, that anytime your opponent targets it, it basically self-exiles itself, um, and then you can play it out of exile. So it's a creature that um, can die in combat and go away normally, but is very difficult to deal with with removal. Um, if they exile it, you can just cast it again. If they uh, target it with anything else, like bounce or destroy effects or you know minus three, minus three, um, it's going to exile and you can cast it again. Um, this is not a super exciting card, but it, it is potentially a value engine in the right deck. If the right number of pieces arrayed around it, it would be a four of. Um, does it have a home in standard? None that I can easily think of. Does it have a home in modern? Probably not. Um, so I'm not super excited about the card, but there's definitely something there. Anything that, that can abuse being exiled um, and dodge removal uh, is worth a look. And currently it's about a dollar. I suspect we might be able to get them as low as 50 cents or 75 cents. Um, I'm, I'm in for a few play sets if, if the price gets sub a dollar, um, because at the very least I can throw them into decks and fool around with it as a potential spec target. Um, I think it's the kind of thing that could uh, find a home during its standard life cycle in you know the three, you know, three to four dollar range um, if it gets some camera time. But agree fully that it's by no means guaranteed. 
Well, um, it, we didn't list it, but I did notice that Food Chain had moved a little bit, and this is another card that can be put into the Food Chain engine. Um, just like Mist Hollow Griffin can be cast out of exile, so can this. And uh, anytime you, you have a two-card combo that picks up a redundant piece, uh, you're looking at something you have to respect. And uh, I think that uh, it's got some standard appeal, and it's got the potential for some legacy appeal, and picking these up at especially sub a dollar sounds uh, sounds pretty hot to me. I'm in on that. Yeah, I mean the the foils uh, still bears to be seen where the foils play out. I think they were in the four to five dollar range. I want them a little lower than that. I'd be a little more excited at three dollars on the foils. Um, but we'll see. T- tell me about your next one. Uh, my last pick this week is Foil Starfield of Nyx, uh, also out of Magic Origins. I like looking at cards that are about to rotate. Uh, right now you can find foils for around six. Uh, I'm holding on to these on a long-term basis. I'm hoping to get out at around 15 because uh, this is just such a unique effect. You're getting your value back. You're getting uh, it affects the board. You get to recur the enchantments. And uh, this might just be it for uh, Commander. It might, I don't think it's going to show up in uh, mod- Modern or Legacy or anything. Uh, but I really like having these for uh, the casual appeal. And, yeah, foil mythics at a, a rock-bottom price are always something I'm going to be looking at. And from a set that has is so deep, you know, po- certainly the deepest since Innistrad, possibly, you know, in the same, down the road, possibly in the same category as Future Sight, um, although with significantly higher volume, of course. Uh, and and yet lower volume than everything else around it. And I don't think that, uh, you know, that was the last core set origins and core sets don't sell that well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I like this card. Um, there's a lot of foils available uh, yes. at present. Um, but there's some, you know, as low as 450. Um, so it starts getting down towards the $4 range, I start liking them as a, a pretty long-term pickup. Like, it's the kind of card that in two to three years, like you said, it hits $10, $15, $20. Um, you get a nice double up, and you can out them on Puka Trade, where somebody will definitely have them on their list, looking to put together some wacky enchantment-based casual deck. It's got open-ended uh, synergy, which I love. Um, always something I'm looking for in long-term specs. The ability to just get better and better over time as more relevant enchantments are printed. Um, all right, so my last pick of the week is uh, Thalia's Lancers, um, one of my favorite cards out of Eldritch Moon. Um, the, it's like the White Goblin Dark Dwellers. Uh, this card, <laughs> this card uh, is a 4-4 first strike for 5. Not particularly exciting. But it lets you search your entire deck um, to get any legendary permanent. So I mean, I'm not sure everybody has picked up on this yet, but that means you can go get things like Gaia's Cradle. Uh, Umazawa's Jete. Um, you can go get any legendary creature. Um, that's very, very solid open-ended synergy. Um, it interacts with all future legends, all existing legends. Um, you know, 4-4 four, four, first strike for 5 is already kind of the base rate for a creature, so you're getting that tutor effect for free, um, or pretty close to it. I guess in white, you'd probably get a 4-4 four, four, first strike for 4, so you're getting the tutor for, like, 1 um, colorless mana. Um Definitely has legs, casual, long-term. Uh, in casual decks where that want it, it might be played as anywhere from a 2-of to a 4-of. Uh, EDH decks will certainly play them. Uh, Cliff, you were saying you like the foils for, for Commander? I really do. Uh, anytime you can go find something legendary and awesome, uh, you should take that opportunity, especially if it's on a decent and recurrable body. It is much easier in Commander to bring back a creature over and over again than it is uh, a spell, which is why Eternal Witness gets recurred all over the place and not regrowth. So this is uh, Time of Need, uh, the uh, card out of Kamigawa, search your library for a legend and put it in your hand. Well, that's two mana, and so you're getting the 4-4 first strike for basically three, which is just uh, ridiculous value all over the place. This is one of the first cards that's going to go into every Carador deck from now on, and it's it's only going to go up. Like you said, um, every future legend they print makes this better. 
Yes, I mean, you can find this as low as a dollar right now. I think during the first week or two of release, you're going to see it as low as 50 cents or 75 cents on Twitter and Facebook. Um, I figure, you know, put four or five play sets away at that price. Um, I think it's going to be a, the non-foils are going to be a long-term gain, um, very long, you know, two, three, four years before you're going to see the return. But the returns, I, I think, will be solid. It's not the kind of effect they're going to reprint multiple times. It's not going to become some staple thing you see on a bunch of white creatures every year. Um, it, it, it's going to be rare and non-repetitive. Um, and, and a unique ability like that is, is the kind of thing you're looking for for your long-term holds. I don't know, man. I, this, is, this looks like a card that goes right into a commander pre-constructed at some point. The, the thing is, again, like they don't like doing that with things that have names that are um, specific to planes. So, I mean, Thalia is a very specific character that is unlikely to be reused in Commander. Um, so Thalia's Lancers, I don't think, is, is, is likely to show up in a Commander deck. However, that being said, it interacts so well in, in a Commander deck that it's not completely impossible. Um, and I'm sure if I looked hard enough, I could find precedent. Um, where they've they've referenced characters from from all over the multiverse in Commander decks, so you know maybe you're right. Um, if it does, then that's certainly a problem, um, and uh, I guess that risk risk is true. But uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, the events, of the uh, tournaments of last week. Uh, we're not going to have any uh, big tournaments this weekend. It's the pre-release. Go out, open some cards, trade them away immediately, have a blast doing so. But last week, we had uh, some really interesting results out of the uh, Modern and Legacy Star City Opens that uh, I know I'm intrigued by a couple of these. And uh, what was your favorite out of the lists that came out? Yeah, so I mean, I think the uh, I think these were both, the, these are classics, right? The, the Open was standard. The classics were Modern and Legacy, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so the classics are slightly smaller tournaments and not necessarily representative of a broader, more competitive metagame, but still worth looking at. Um, definitely a deck that caught my eye um, taking first place in the modern classic was Four Color Retreat. Um, this is basically a blending of the Knight of the Reliquary Retreat to Coral Hamel combo decks um, that rely on a variety of acceleration and value creatures to get into their uh, infinitely large Knight of the Reliquary or or extremely large Knight of the Reliquary, uh, attacking um, in the early turns, and merging that with the Nahiri the Harbinger, uh, Emrakul the Eons Torn combo that's been uh, infiltrating Modern for months. Um, very interesting to see those two combos in the same deck because they give a lot of inevitability to the mid-game. Um, uh, several other interesting cards in this deck. Um, I mean, uh, we had Birds of Paradise, Eternal Witness, Knight of the Reliquary, Noble Hierarch, Scavenging Ooze, Snapcaster Mage, Tarmogoyf, etc. All the same things you would imagine in these colors. Um, but it was also running a Zealous Conscripts main. Um, that's the red creature that steals permanence uh, until the end of turn, untaps them, and gives them haste. Two Courser of Crufix. So we see a, a, a standard staple uh, poking its head up again in modern. Um, they were running two copies of Stubborn Denial. This is a foil I told people to pick up ages ago that uh, was, I predicted would be playable in modern um, and does keep poking its head up here and there. Uh, also, Oath of Nisa, another one of the foil uh, rares that we uh, recommended picking up copies of earlier this year, which showed up as a two-of in this deck. Um, overall, this thing is uh, very creative, and I'm looking forward to sleeving up something similar and trying it out, since I was already building the Knight Coral Helm version of the deck, and this looks even more fun. I really love the Zealous Conscripts to steal the Nahiri at 8. Uh, that just makes my heart sing. I, I'm pretty sure that it's in there for the uh, Nahiri Mirrors, because it's it just uh, it makes me feel good. You steal, <laughs> steal it, do it. Have a blast. It's also pretty sexy against Tron if you're expecting to run up against that because a lot of their permanents, um, uh, you know, you can, the Conscripts comes down with haste, you steal the big thing they just played or the, the Karn that they, they laid out and away you go. Um, yeah, there's all sorts of play in this deck. It has many flexible different angles. And when I'm looking for a modern deck, I'm looking for something where every game plays out a little differently um, and tests my strategic uh uh, capabilities and this deck definitely looks like the kind of thing that requires some thought. Um, 
second through eighth in that tournament was blue white control blue black fairies death shadow aggro two affinity decks a burn deck and death and taxes so a nice assortment of the expected uh along with you know fairies and uh blue white control rounding out and then in legacy um we had grixis delver lands miracles four color delver infect mono red sneak attack and reanimator all uh, more or less legacy staples but fourth place uh, you had highlighted cliff that goblin prison um, made an appearance you want to break down for me what uh, important cards appeared in that archetype so it's a uh, a deck with uh, four goblin rabble masters and it's playing chalice of the void trinisphere blood moon all the the mana disruption all the you don't get to brainstorm for just one mana all the the things that are going to disrupt what the other guy is doing and you're just focusing on uh, the disruption plus, like, Rabble Master is such inevitability. Uh, you yeah. get multiple hasty tokens. You get the one big swinger. Uh, it really is uh, a thing to make you happy. There's also four Mog Catchers in the main deck to go <laughs> find uh, whatever goblin you need. Do you need to destroy a non-basic? Do you need to find your Kiki-Jiki? Uh, like, Mog Catcher's a card... Uh, I don't like seeing in Commander, and to see it actually make the the tables in Legacy is really uh, really pretty impressive. Also, I mean, it, uh, Fiery Confluence. Uh, anybody want a Commander card that uh, has pretty high flexibility if you're into that sort of thing as well? Yeah, I mean, three copies of Confluence in the in the sideboard is interesting. The uh, I mean. To be running four Mogcatcher speaks volumes about how much they assume they're locking up the early game with the, the combination of acceleration from uh, four Simeon Spirit Guide, uh, three Chrome Mocks, four Ancient Tomb, and four City of Traders to get into their Trinisphere, Blood Moon, four copies of Magus of the Moon. Um, uh, you know, they, they're just assuming that they've locked up the early game and they're going to have time to be fooling around with things like Mogcatcher, a 2-2 two, two for 4 that costs 3 and a tap to, set, to search something up. Um, it, this deck is very interesting, um, and people will hate to play against it. Oh, there are lots yeah. of people that don't... People don't like to play against goblins. They certainly don't like to play against any of these taxing artifacts or, or, or blood moon effects. Um, yeah, this is this is a quick way to be hated in your local metagame. But, uh, <laughs> if you if you've already got these pieces, maybe take it for a spin and let us know how it went for you. I also really liked uh, there was in seventh place the mono red version of sneak attack that uh, doesn't care about anything else. It's still uh, playing other colors of creatures. It's had two world spine worm, which is uh, really just all the value you ever wanted out of a sneak attack or a through the breach. Uh, it also had two of uh, Godo Bandit Warlord in the main deck to go find Batterskull. Uh, that's an interesting piece of tech. He costs too much to... I guess you could hardcast him if the game went long enough, but uh, being able to sneak out Godo and have the Batterskull left behind is pretty awesome. Uh, same thing with World Spine Worm. You, go, you sneak attack it out, and you're left with uh, three 5-5 five, five tramples if they survived the 15-15 uh, coming at them. Yeah. Uh, that's a lot of beatings out of nowhere when it goes right. Um, the kind of deck that, that tends to sputter out on its own and kind of self-defeat would be my guess, um, but looks incredibly sexy when it, when it all comes together. Oh, it does look sexy. All right, so let's move on to our final uh, uh, segment, Topic of the Week. Uh, we just wanted to give you guys kind of a State of the Union on Puka Trade. Um, uh, last week, I published a 9,000-word piece um, uh, you know, apologies for anybody who had to read through that whole thing, but we really uh, did feel, uh, myself and my co-author, Brian Dale, um, felt like the topic was deep and required uh, a detailed review. You can find that article uh, on mtgprice.com. And uh, it kicked off a lot of discussion, um, and I just wanted to give people a brief overview of what we were, uh, you know, how we were going at this. Um, basically, the premise of the article was that uh, the Puka Trade platform in its current form is inherently inflationary. And what we mean by that, without getting too technical, is that um, because Puka Trade enacted a policy um, when they first started the platform, that they would issue uh, quote unquote free points to people when they created an account so that they would have enough points to get their first card sent to them. Um, the 
the problem that arises from that process is that there are all these points in the economy that are continuously being added by every new account that comes into it that have not been exchanged for value. And, and what that means is that over time you have more and more dollars, you know, puka dollars, chasing the same products and you're going to have an inflationary spiral. Um, and what has resulted from that is that the you know, puka points have fallen over time against the, the US dollar and all other hard currencies, which makes perfect sense to some extent because um, you know, hard currency like the US dollar is always going to be more value than a, a virtual currency that can only be used to ex be, can only be exchanged for specific goods. Um, we see the same thing in the magic online economy, um, but the difference is that the demand uh, for uh, bleeding, uh, the, the, the outlets for bleeding um, MTGO ticks and the demand for those ticks is kept much higher because ticks are required to constantly be entering into drafts and drafts are kind of the lifeblood of the whole system. So, um, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people are drafting every day, um, you know, so on the weekends, maybe thousands. And those people are always in a requirement of ticks. Now, you know, uh, through M Magic Online, Wizard sells ticks at about, you know, uh, you know exactly a US dollar per tick. Um, which has created a secondary economy where um, bots and other players can sell ticks um, that they've acquired uh, along the way for something less than a dollar. And, and you know, you get them for a little less, they get a better price than they would selling to their, their fellow bots uh, inside the platform. And the ticks has harmonized against the US dollar somewhere in the like 0 0.90 to 0.9 five range depending on how in demand they are on any given weekend by point of comparison the puka point has fallen to about 60 cents on the us dollar and shows every sign of of continuing down the ladder um largely because what's happened is that um, as the the inflationary pressures have built up they can uh, be countered somewhat by continued growth if you have explosive growth in an economy then the inflationary pressure can be overcome by that growth. But what Puka Trade uh, Trade's own uh, charts have shown us over um, the course of early 2016 is that growth has been slowing. And as growth slows, inflation starts to take uh, a firmer grasp over the economy. And it makes it harder and harder for people to find an appropriate exit, especially the, you know, the vendors and power sellers. Um, a lot of people think of Puka Trade as this kind of like user-to-user -user trading platform that shouldn't really involve vendors, but um, I really think they, they need to rethink that um, and, and, and you know, twist their thinking cap a bit. Because you need the vendors in any major economy, once it gets large enough, to keep um, product flowing. These, the vendors that have deep inventory are the only people that have all the cards that can potentially fill your order that, um, you know, equal to the want list that you've posted on PukaTrade. Um, you need those people to be motivated to keep trading on Puka. And instead, what happens now is, you know, most vendors get to $1,000 or $2,000 worth of ticks and in cards that they've sent out. And then, you know, they're in a stare down with all the other major uh, players on the platform where none of them want to send anything else out. They're all sitting on points, but nobody has anything interesting to sell them that they don't already have. Um, and because they can't exit effectively to... Uh, to hard currency without taking a major loss, um, there's very little motivation for them to keep trading. And really what you want is a platform that encourages vendors to be trading at high volume day after day after day. Um, for that to happen, you need to start to um, introduce point sinks into the system. And essentially what the premise of a point sink is, is you bleed uh, off some of the points that were originally issued for free so that um, Puka points in general as a currency are more scarce within their own economy. As that, that process continues and you bleed enough points off, um, the value of the Puka point to the US dollar will rise. And uh, once that takes place, the, the vendors have an ability to get out in the, say, 75 cents on the dollar, 80 cents on the dollar. And when they compare that to you know taxes plus fees, et cetera, through something like TCG Player or eBay, where they typically lose about 15 cents uh, on the dollar. If you can get them within five or 10% of that, it starts to get pretty attractive to, to use PukaTrade a lot. Um, so our, we, what we suggested in the article is that point six need to be implemented pretty much right away. There are a number of different ways that these, these can be rolled out. Um, 
but if they don't, then the platform is headed in a very bad direction where um, an inflationary spiral could start to gain momentum and get to the point where trading would just grind to a halt. Um, you know, P Cliff, what's, what's your experience been like on Puka Trade thus far? So on Puka Trade, um, I have had that exact experience where my points are sitting around not doing anything. I'm hoping that somebody wants to send me cards. Um, I have uh, traded up into a guy's cradle. Uh, I got a Judge Foil Soul Ring. Uh, I've gotten a bunch of like $20 to $50 foils for Commander decks. Uh, I got more that I want. I'm actually down to like $10 worth of points right now just because I haven't gotten around to sending out anything new. Um, when I had nearly uh, $300 worth of points, uh, 330k in points, uh, I was trying to get a foil scalding tarn to finish out uh, my one all foil commander deck. And uh, I was offering the biggest bounties. And the, the bounty experience is really the, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? It's really the headliner for uh, what inflation means. It means that the price they're offering is not enough to get people to send the cards that I want them to send. So I'm having to offer more points to devalue points, to make the points worth less because I have to offer more in order to get what I want. And even with me offering, uh, I think I was up to a $40, uh, a four, excuse me, a 4,000 Puka, Puka Point bonus on a Foil Scalding Tarn, whether Zendikar or Expedition, it wasn't enough. And if you go on there and look at the usernames of people who want Expeditions, they're offering 15, 20% in one or two cases because people really want to get something approaching the value that, they, that they've put into it. And uh, that, that's, a, that's a big hit. If you're willing to give up an extra... 60 or $80 worth of cards to get this one card that you want, your currency is troubled. And um, while I've really enjoyed my Puka Trade experience, uh, I am hesitant about going for uh, big ticket items again because there are so many people with so many points that, uh, it, like you said, it is not currently in a lot of people's best interest to send out you know, a tropical island for uh, 350,000, uh, excuse me, uh, 35,000 Puka points. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're right. The, the presence, the increasing prevalence of uh, bounties being offered in the system is reflective of the fact that the exchange rate between Puka points and the U.S. dollar is not properly reflected in the way that cards on Puka trade are priced. Um, as far as I can tell, Puka Trade uh, card prices are pegged directly to um, a single price point on TCG Player, uh, namely the listed median. Um, if you do some research comparing the listed median on TCG to a variety of cards on, uh, t on Puka Trade, I think you'll see that they're almost directly uh, analogous. And the the thing about that is that uh, when you know that the exchange rate is not one-to-one -one or even close to it, using USD-based pricing to set the price for the cards in, within your platform um, is really quite silly. And all the bonuses represent is that the market is attempting to correct that imbalance through what is essentially um, an ad hoc bid-ask system akin to the stock market. Um, people recognize the reduced value of the Puka point and the bounties um, are an attempt, as you said, to um, provide the proper value uh, in US dollars to motivate someone to actually send the card. Um, in general, I have avoided um, uh, paying a bounty. Um, I would do it you know, if it was less than 5%. Otherwise, I never mention bounties on my profile. I don't ask them. Instead, I focus on um, networking. Um, uh, all the time, I, I send you know a message or two a day to people that I see um, as major uh, senders of cards on the Puka Trade homepage, 
Um, I just say hello, locate their profile, say hello, and tell them I'm looking for high value targets. And then I get a lot of offers. Some of those offers require bounties, and I just say politely I don't pay bounties and move on. Um, and once every couple weeks or so, I get you know a pretty good card, like a, a you know a foil fetch land or an expedition, um, you know a black foil jace, um, and uh, you know. Cards in the typically the hundred to five hundred dollar range is what I'm after because I'm looking to trade up out of spiked cards into in my speculation portfolio into things that have a a, a lower um, appreciation curve but are reliable value holders. So it's it's really interesting to me that um, uh, you don't care what cards you're getting. Um, it's it, it's reflective of what your goals are with their system is that as long as you are consolidating spiked cards, uh, $2 cards, $5 cards into these single high-value targets, uh, and you're not having to pay much of a premium on it, you know, if you uh, tried trading in person uh, to somebody with, um, with like, the, the Black Foil Jace, for instance, um, if I were trading it away, I would absolutely be asking for a certain amount over... Uh, the retail value because I had this one high value collectible card and you were giving me uh, 50 Archangel Avicen or whatever. So um, it's the fact that you're just looking for anything instead of specific high value things. Uh, would you say you are confident in the Puka trade system as it is? No, no, no. I, I mean, the whole point of the article was that the the system is doomed to failure unless they make changes. However, I, I did have an, a meeting last week with the CEO of, of Puka Trade, Eric Freytag, got in touch after we published the article. Um, he liked some of the ideas. Uh, we don't see eye to eye on everything, but through the conversation, it became clear to me, this is a good guy, a smart guy, um, uh, somebody who wants the platform to succeed um, because you know there's there's a lot of value obviously in the, in the founders seeing the platform succeed and not spiral out of control, um, and they are um they are amenable to the concept of point sinks. They admit that that is necessary to reduce the inflationary pressure in their economy, and they've they've as of last Monday already implemented uh, Pukasure, which is their new um, insurance uh, based point sink. So. Um, they've they've switched the way they handle insurance now, so that if you want it on your trades, you have to pay for it, um, and you pay for it in points, not dollars. Um, uh, this was a, a point sink that we looked at that we were not very confident uh, about in the article. The reason for that is that managing an insurance uh, business, which is essentially what they're proposing and have implemented, um, is very is very tricky um, because they're going to have to pay out. A certain percentage of claims in Puka points as well, so they're issuing more points into the system at the same time that they're trying to bleed them out. Um, for that to work, they have to take out more than they put in, um, and that's not a guarantee. Yeah, that, the uh, that... actuarial tables are yeah are something tricky. that uh, I've I've heard every insurance company has their own uh, flavor. They they all like to evaluate risk a slightly different way, and uh, they're it's reassuring that they're trying them. Uh, that's that's something that uh, I'm I'm gratified to be experiencing. Yeah, I mean, I think what we're going to find is that they need to have two or three or four point sinks in play that appeal to various segments uh, in their marketplace. The tricky part there is then how do you isolate the impact of each? Um, very difficult to figure out which ones are are working the the best. Um, um, you ha you have to be have a very strong uh, uh, dashboard analytics uh, system set up so that you can analyze all the data you're collecting from what's going on, um, you know, which point sinks are being activated by users and under which circumstances to try to figure out, you know, how you get to equilibrium in, in the market and, and raise the, the value of the Puka point against the U.S. dollar to the point where the vendors are strongly motivated and will start trading again um, uh, or will trade more consistently overall. The, um, you know, some of the other, the sinks that we've looked at are, uh, or they've talked about include uh, uh, having people spend points to upgrade their profiles, having people spend points to remove black marks um, off their accounts. Um, I think that one's a PR disaster and I don't recommend they go for it. <laughs> um, uh, they, 
there are a, a variety of options, um, but the bottom line is that they've got to bleed points. Um, and if you're trying to establish your commitment to the system, um, I would say you know establish the maximum level of points you're comfortable holding and be more open to what you got. I think your, your earlier point about me not caring what I get is actually pretty key to success on this platform um, and to encouraging uh, a velocity of trade that benefits everybody. The, the problem with, the, with thinking about Puka Trade as a way to get the exact thing you want is that that was never going to be the case. This, this is a pull-based platform. When you look at TCG Player, you can go find a card, you can establish the lowest possible price, you can put that in your shopping cart and you can check out. And you can do that on impulse in five minutes or less. On Puka Trade, you have to add something to your want list and then wait for it to come. So if you need a card for this weekend's tournament, you can't rely on Puka Trade. If you need um, a specific card for a specific deck um, in a specific language or foiled or whatever, even with the new upgrades that are coming shortly, um, you can't rely on that to come for sure. Um, and I think that the, the value of the platform uh, will be much greater to the average user if they broaden their net. Add a lot more stuff to um, your want list that you don't necessarily need, and maybe you'll get something cool that you can then trade locally um, for what you actually need. Uh, that will give you a much higher chance of uh, seeing quicker churn and turnover in your point usage, um, and will in turn keep the, the, plat you know, the entire platform uh, a little more liquid in terms of how quickly assets are moving back and forth. Um, so yeah, that that's just you know the tip of the iceberg on Puka Trade. There was a lot more uh, detail to discuss. I recommend you take a look at the the article we have over on mtgprice.com and uh, give us some feedback. And if you have any questions, I'm happy to answer them uh, in the show notes and so forth. Um, otherwise, folks, that's a wrap for this week. Uh, where can people find you online, Cliff? Uh, you guys can find me on Twitter at Word of Commander. I also put up uh, pieces every Friday. I just put up a piece making my predictions about uh, a few of the rares from uh, Eldritch Moon and where they will be when Kaladesh lands. Cool. And uh, you guys can find me at MTG Critic as well as via my weekly articles on mtgprice.com. I would also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com Pro Trader service for just $4.99 a month or $49.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a sweet set of online collection management and buy list tools that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Thanks again, everybody. Hope you had a good time with us. Uh, I've really enjoyed our discussion this week, Cliff, and we'll see all of you next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. <laughs>